I'm Anna. And I'm Henna. And this is But, but it, it Is, is Rocket, Rocket Science. Science. We are back and we are excited to be making some new podcast content for you. So thank you for being patient with us. Yeah, Anne and I just took a bit of a break to also just rest and rejuvenate, you know, just let our creative juices flow so we can plan some awesome episodes for all of you. Before we get into it, how have you been? Anna, I've been good. Well, it was really nice to spend time with my family over the break. I also right now have a delicious cup of decaf coffee with some whipped cream on it, some coconut whipped cream. Yum. It's Hannah's going vegan for the month of January. Yes. And I'm very impressed. Thanks, Anna. Yep. Veganuary. And it was so nice. She brought me vegan cinnamon rolls the other day. <laughs> so thoughtful. <laughs> well, we needed a treat. And the, only th- and the only thing I could find that looked like pretty good were these cinnamon rolls. And they were actually, they are my favorite cinnamon rolls that also happen to be vegan. Let me see. What else have I been talking to? Oh, Anna. So you actually inspired me to get into this. So Anna has been swimming. She's been swimming to train for a triathlon. I believe, Anna, you mentioned this in her older episodes. Yes. So Anna swimming made me think like, oh, maybe I should go check out a local pool. And so I started swimming some laps at the local pool and it's been feeling really nice. That's and I'm awesome. really enjoying it. I remember I, uh, one time Hannah and I, uh, I don't know, we were going to get coffee or something and Hannah goes to pull out her wallet and it's just like her credit card in a Ziploc plastic bag. <laughs> I was like, you have a wallet. Like, what is this? apparently she's like well i went to the pool yeah anna definitely called me out and wouldn't stop calling me out that entire day oh henna why don't you is it gonna be a zip (laughs) even after that anna every time we go out together you're like are you gonna pull out a ziploc bag and then you would pull a ziploc bag out so it's not even like i was just giving you crap it was accurate yeah because i would get lazy i would get lazy in transferring my credit card to my normal wallet so sometimes i just grab the bag and embarrass anna wherever i would go i was poking fun at henna though because i feel like that is my right but that's i really like going to the pool too and it's totally it's way harder than it looks like swimming doesn't look that hard it's a lot oh my gosh yes anna how about you how have you been I've been not too bad. You know, not all that exciting. I'm going to rant for a second here. I ripped my favorite pair of leggings yesterday, and I'm really upset about it. Yeah, that's awful. Right? And it's, uh, they're beyond repair. I tripped. It was my fault. But they ripped, and I don't think they should have. I didn't trip that hard. Um, Anyway, I'm sad about it. So (laughs) I now have to buy a new pair, and I couldn't find any. The the ones I had were Athleta, and I liked them a lot, and I did. I had had them for years, so it's not like they're brand new. So I'm trying Peloton. I ordered a pair from Peloton, so we'll see how that goes. Apparently, they're in the, like, fitness apparel game now, rather than just fitness equipment. I forgot the word for a second. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say that that surprises me, because I actually did not realize Peloton was doing fitness clothes. I have no idea what the quality is, but it looks good from the pictures online. Okay, I just want to say how upsetting it is that your Athleta leggings ripped. Like, I was those so things are sad. not cheap. <laughs> I was so sad. Like, and I was with a bunch of men who just didn't understand the oh gravity of the situation. I was like, yeah, no, these were expensive. <laughs> like, and That's I've, so I've, annoying. I think I've had them for four years now. 
Oh my but gosh. I know. And they had held up really well. And I don't think I'm not blaming Atlet. I still really like I I still like them. Like it was I did get four years, but I, I should have gotten more, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean I think of leggings like expensive leggings like cars. Like they should last me ten years plus. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> That was an investment. I probably bought them on sale. Let's be like completely transparent here. <laughs> like I buy all my things on sale. I rarely buy them full price. <laughs> oh, no, I do the same thing. That's why we're friends. All right. So do you want to introduce today's topic? Yes, I would love to. All right, everyone. So today we'll be talking about airfoils. So I'll be focusing on what exactly airfoils are, some of the basic terminology surrounding them, and some more abstract stuff like how do you interpret how an airfoil moves through a fluid, and then I'll turn it over to Anna who will go over uh, thin airfoil theory and its history. Yeah, I think this will be a good one. Lay it on me. What are right. airfoils? Yes, let's get right into it. I find airfoils incredibly cool. When I was younger, every time I would board an airplane, I would wonder how the heck did we come up with this incredible machine that can fly me from point A to point B. And it's easy to get overwhelmed by the complexity the complexities of the turbines, jet engines, wing shapes, etc., all the stuff that is orchestrating such a beautiful flying machine. So to truly understand principles of aeronautics, you absolutely need to first understand some fundamentals that both Anne and I will cover today. So the absolute fundamental building block of understanding how airplanes work involves understanding airfoils. So specifically what exactly they are and how they produce lift for aircraft. So I'm going to walk through the key terms that surround airfoils. So if you take a class in aerodynamics at school or fluid dynamics, you'll be doing countless problems surrounding airfoils. Airfoils are the cross-section of any body that is capable of generating lift when moving through a gas or the atmosphere. To understand what a cross-section is, imagine slicing a tomato in half straight down and staring at the inside surface of the tomato where you can see the seeds. Now imagine slicing an airplane wing in half and looking at the inside surface shape. That shape that you see immediately, that is the airfoil. And if that still doesn't make sense, Google an image will also have some images in the show notes and it'll all become clear. Yeah, so essentially... Hannah did a great job explaining this. I'm just going to, I don't know, butt in. Please. It's confusing because an airfoil is not, it is just exactly like Hannah said, it is that cross section. So when you Google airfoil, you're not going to see an entire airplane wing. You're just going to see what looks like an oblong oval that's kind of tilted. Mm -hmm. And it's because the main part of the airfoil that generates lift is that shape. And then Hannah's going to go into a bunch of terms about how it generates lift and all this other cool stuff. But that is... So if you just see, you're going to see a bunch of weird looking ovals that are thinner at one end than the other. Yes. That is the airfoil. Beautifully explained. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Weird looking ovals, but it's so clear. Like that's exactly what it is. Right. It's like a teardrop almost. Yes. Yep. Yep. It's like a weird ovally teardrop on its side. 
Which is something that when I was in school, I was like, oh, it's not the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, that part is confusing, definitely. It is confusing, but it will. I think it'll make sense what you keep. I, mean, I think it'll make sense why that's what we care about as you mm-hmm. keep going. So all aerodynamic problems actually begin with this basic, basic oblong shape. You'll sketch on it in school, like when you're doing problems surrounding it. You'll sketch on it, draw forces on it, and do these intensive math problems around it. So now remembering that an airfoil is a cross section of body, an airfoil actually generates lift. Examples of airfoils include the cross sections of airplane wings, sails of a boat, propellers, turbines, anything that can generate lift, take a cross section of it, that's an airfoil. Airfoil shapes are specially designed by engineers. Depending on the purpose of the airfoil, like if it's an airplane wing, we would look at what altitude and speed we need the technology to move at. And then based off of that, we will uh, design the airfoil to manipulate airflow to produce enough lift to meet the requirements of the technology. Yeah. So when Hannah says generate lift, she essentially generating lift just means that you have the ability to fly. Correct. So a glider can generate lift. A paper airplane can generate lift. Exactly. It's, uh, it's, it is just the ability to achieve flight. Yes. And when we talk about lift, we're talking about the force that's pointed up. Yes. So So you get lift because you have more up than you do down. Exactly. And if you've taken any physics classes or if you're about to take physics classes, you'll be doing a lot of drawings of forces to understand what, how, um, in kinematics, uh, how a body is moving. Exactly. Exactly. So when we have lift, that means you have more force keeping it up, then you have force pushing it back down. So you you are lifting. Lift. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what a great explanation that one is. It was. It, I thought it was great. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. Sorry, Henning. Please keep going. No problem. All right. So now I'm going to get into a few other aeronautical terminology that you can use to basically impress your friends. <laughs> I can't wait. You're going to be so cool at parties once we can have those again. <laughs> All right, so the first one is leading edge and trailing edge. The leading edge is exactly as it sounds like. It is the starting edge of the front of the airplane wing, and trailing edge is the end of the wing. So it's the beginning and end of specifically the airfoil, that weird oblong shape. Leading edge is the start starting point right at the beginning, and the trailing edge is the end point right at the tip of the end of the oblong shape. The pointier part of the teardrop shape, as yeah. Anna described it earlier. Yeah, it's the thin part of the weird The thinner oval. part. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's almost like a tail. Yes, exactly. It is like a tail. All right, so the next term is angle of attack. This is how far above the horizontal the airfoil is tilted up. Angle of attack affects the lift produced by a wing. When an airplane takes off, the pilot will rev up the engine to generate thrust to make the airplane roll along the runway. However, before actually taking off, the pilot will rotate the plane up such that the nose rises, increasing the angle of attack at the wings to gain more lift during takeoff. Yeah, the way I think of it is you're literally tilting up so you can get more air under the wings. That is an incredible, that is so simplistic. Yes. (laughs) You have more air under there. 
which means you're generating more force up. Exactly. Yeah, it is definitely very simplified, but you have to understand we're really just going through the basics here. So you can understand what this what the building blocks are. If you're more interested, you can further explore it. A good primer, if you will. Yes, a good primer. Okay, so I'm going to move into another term that that also affects the lift of an airfoil. This next vocab word is camber. So when you look at the cross-section of an airplane wing, you'll notice that the top of the wing is more curved or rounded, and the bottom is more flat. And you'll notice this at the airfoil shape too. The top and bottom curvatures are referred to as cambers of the wings. The mean camber line is an imaginary line that sits in between the top and bottom cambers. It starts at the leading edge of the airfoil and ends at the trailing edge. The more curved this line is, the more lift your airfoil can produce. However, something very important to note is that airfoil shape alone does not produce all the lift. For example, airplanes have jet engines that help with the lift of the airplane. Oh, completely. So the way I think about a camber, it's literally if you're just drawing a line down the middle of that cross section. Yes, exactly. And the camber just represents the overall shape. Like it's just a simplification of what the shape of the airfoil is. Right. It's not a straight line. It is curved. And like Anna said, it represents like an average of the overall shape. Exactly. That's how I think of it anyway. Okay. So now we're going to move a bit beyond the basic terms and talk about what perspective you need to look at an airfoil with. So the main focus of aerodynamics is fluids in motion. She put that in all caps. (laughs) In motion! (laughs) Because sometimes we forget about the fluid moving and we just think about the object, such as an airplane moving through air, air being the fluid. You are correct. But air is in motion also, everybody. (laughs) It is moving. Hannah is correct. That is why in motion is in all caps (laughs) in my notes. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. So we can't forget about flow velocity. What I mean by this is that the velocity of the fluid, may that be the air you're flying through, it must be considered as opposed to only thinking about an airfoil as a body moving through air. So we have to look at what the air particles are doing. So I liked what I read in Fundamentals of Airfoils, a book that I'll have linked in the sources. In it, the author says to think about air or a fluid as a squishy substance. So think about an airplane wing in motion, and it's moving at 50 meters per second. Then all parts of the solid wing are simultaneously moving at the same 50 meters per second velocity. All parts of the airplane wing, all particles of this solid airplane wing are all moving at 50 meters per second. But you have to change your perspective of the fluid surrounding the solid wing. The fluid is squishy. It's flexible. One part of the fluid may be traveling at a different velocity from another part. Hence, we have to adopt this different perspective. So think about tiny particles of air starting at the leading edge of an airfoil and following the top and bottom cambers of the airfoil. These particles or fluid elements are moving at velocities around the airfoil. And with this, you can build up more complex problems like understanding shear stress between the fluid and the airfoil, and also further more than that, understanding like implications of drag. So drag being air resistance, like what is preventing you from um, flying your fastest? You have 
drag, like wind, there is air friction that's imparted to your airplane wing that's going to create a force in the opposite direction of your thrust that would be propelling your airplane forward. So my focus for this episode was on terminology and how to look at an airfoil before you do any complex math with it. Airfoils are the essential building blocks for aerodynamics. There's a lot more to it than just the simple vocabulary that I've covered. Like Anna said, this is a great primer. For the sake of this episode, we're keeping it at fundamental understanding. But before I turn it over to Anna to talk about airfoil theory and its history, I want to provide some insight on how you can further build your expertise on aerodynamics. To really build understanding of aerodynamics or fluid dynamics, you want to build your aeronautical vocab first. So this includes lift, pressure, density, what the sources of forces and moments are on airfoils. <laughs> can you hear my cat? <laughs> I can. Acorn. I got a kitty, everyone. <laughs> She's really cute. She's lovely. She fell asleep on Anna's lap. Anna, I actually have never seen her fall asleep on a new person's lap that fast. It. I was so excited. I was so excited. And it was like for She's 10 minutes. And then she got yeah. up and left. She just decided to get enough. But it was a really wonderful 10 minutes. I was I, excited. Yeah. She's outside my room. I cannot let her in. Otherwise, she's going to be roaming around meowing like no other. And we would never get through this episode. She's a social little bean. She really is. <laughs> she was... I met her. And most cats I meet for the first time, they like hide for a little bit. And then they come out. Acorn was like, all right, cool. Who are you? Like... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's like, be friends. <laughs> yeah. Be like, great. Welcome. I would like pets. I was exactly. Like, All right, I can do that for you. Can I take a nap on you now, please? <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, I will never move. I have to live here now. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> as long as Acorn wants to sleep on my lap, I shall be in this spot. <laughs> All right, so let's get back. Let's get back to the episode. Um, so first, like I mentioned, you want to build that aeronautical vocab, understand sources of forces and moments on airfoils. So congrats, we did do some of that with this episode. Next, you'll want to understand how to calculate aerodynamic forces and moments, and that's going to require textbook to understand formulas, or an aerodynamics class, or some YouTube lectures, and then you'll start working with the Kutta-Drakowski theorem, which is this fundamental theorem in aerodynamics used for calculating lift of an airfoil. And through a class or textbook, you'll also become familiar with types of flows in viscid, compressible, and incompressible. Anna will actually touch on this soon. And how these flows impact nozzles, diffusers, and how to work with airfoils or any sort of object that can generate lift in wind tunnels. So you'll start doing, you can do problems surrounding that. Wind tunnels are so cool. They're so interesting. They're so awesome. And if you're taking a class that has access to a wind tunnel, you may even learn how to set up experiments in wind tunnels and how to tweak designs of whatever you're using of your aircraft or your sails uh, to better generate lift. Basically, what I'm trying to say is aerodynamics and fluid dynamics are vast fields and there's so much to learn and they're so interesting. Um, and they really open up your mind to how some really cool technology works in the world. So if you're interested in learning more, check out links for the books, YouTube videos that I'll have in, in the show notes, as well as some lecture notes from uh, these free lecture notes from MIT's OpenCourseWare, so their aerodynamics class. And there's plenty of free resources online. And yeah, check out your local schools for classes if you want to learn in person. 
But yeah, Anna, I'm done with my soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. Have you ever done anything with like a full scale wind tunnel? Yes, I did. Back for an internship a long time ago, but I really don't remember. This was like probably nine years ago. I was at the NASA Ames wind tunnel. Whoa. And yeah, it was really cool. It was the, I think it was like the 80 by 120. That's cool. I've never done, I've done like the small ones, but never, never a really like full scale one. Yeah, 80 by 120. It was like at some point one of the largest wind tunnels. Um, Yeah, I've done some stuff with little wind tunnels at school. Yeah. Yeah. What did you do with wind tunnels, Anna? Oh, man. It was for like a project. I just remember. And then they did the thing where they show you the so you can like visualize the flows and the Mm -hmm. uh, to use a big word, the boundary layers. Yes, exactly. And then the one we were using, it could do like bubbles. So then you could see the bubbles moving mm-hmm. because yep. bubbles float in the air. So they give you a good visualization of what is happening with the fluid flow. Mm-hmm. I can't remember beyond that what we were doing. Yeah, I remember like working with a foam wing shape. That's cool. And fixating, like fixing that in a small wind tunnel and yeah, working on problems surrounding that. It was Involved, that's cool but, oh, it was so cool honestly Anna like I sometimes when we go through these notes um in college so much stuff was stuffed <sighs> into our brains and it's like oh I wish I could go back you and don't like, appreciate it enough at the time exactly because you have to learn so much yeah so <laughs> the, oh man so much I don't I don't miss that um yeah I felt like I was trying to like you know just keep up and like stay on top oh, of things oh completely. yeah constantly as opposed to letting yeah. my mind wander and get really interested in something particular you couldn't dig into what you found the most interesting you had to focus on everything that you, you had to get all your assignments done all the requirements done yeah yeah exactly so it's nice yeah. to have that freedom now that's a good exactly. way to think about it yeah mm-hmm. i never took an official wind tunnel class because I, I technically both my degrees are in mechanical engineering um mm-hmm. but if i could go back i think i would have tried to take a whole aerodynamics class specifically yeah i think i would have tried to like it would be nice to get Focus, I think electric propulsion and then this episode have both wanted me to go back and <gasps> concentrate more in those areas, like our electric propulsion episode. That was a cool um, one. That was a cool one, too. Uh, the curse of the curious mind. We just want to learn everything about everything. <laughs> yeah, that's part of when we started the podcast, right? We're like, well, we're going to research this stuff anyway, so we might as well do something with it. Yeah, so true. All right. Do you want to take a quick break and then I will talk about thin airfoil theory? Yes, that sounds wonderful. So I am going to talk to you a little bit about the history of airfoils. Woohoo! I can't wait. A little caveat. I'm going to talk to you about the history of airfoils that are used specifically for flight. So technically, ship sails are also airfoils. Yes, that's true. I don't that that gets in the history of ships with sails. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, and we I don't know. I don't think people want a 6-hour episode. So, no, I don't <laughs> think they do about the invention of boats. I'm sure somebody does, but not today. Yeah. The history of airfoils used for flight date all the way back to the very first flight. And I didn't actually know this. But the very first man flight was not the Wright brothers. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I thought, what was it then? 
That was the first powered aircraft flight, and it took place in 1903. And I think we should do an episode specifically about that, because it's famous and very interesting. Yeah, sounds great. However, the first ever manned flight was all the way back in 1891, and it was completed by a man named Otto Lilienthal on a glider he built and designed himself. Oh. I know, which is brave. That's so brave. Which is brave. Especially when you factor in that it was made out of willow rods and cotton fabric. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We're not talking carbon fiber. The way it worked was it allowed the rider, passenger, glider, whoever's on the glider, to control its direction by shifting their body weight. And he successfully glided 80 feet. Wow. Which is impressive. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. That is a whole lot. So that is technically the first manned flight. Something I don't think about is that a glider would be considered flight. Oh, you could be seriously injured. Oh, for sure. Actually, a spoiler alert, he eventually died in a glider accident. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. It is really sad. He had a lot of successful runs. He did. Successfully glided 80 feet that first time, and then went on to design and build 17 other glider models. So impressive. Yeah. And then by the time of his death, which as we've already learned, was tragically from a glider accident, which occurred in 1896, he had completed more than 2,000 glider flights. Wow. Which is crazy. That's amazing. Right? I was reading about this. I was like, whoa. I had no idea any of that even happened. Oh, my gosh. Imagine having him as a neighbor in 1891 (laughs) when you've never seen anything fly besides birds. That's just Otto. (laughs) Like... (laughs) (laughs) all right so what i'm going to focus on in this episode is something called thin airfoil theory and i was trying to figure out how to reword this and then i just gave up to quote directly from wikipedia thin airfoil theory is a simple theory of airfoils that relates angle of attack to lift for incompressible inviscid flows henna already talked about this but angle of attack is the angle between the wind And the airfoil. That was the best I could come up with. And that makes complete sense. Thank you. Thank you. You did great. (laughs) (laughs) Incompressible flow means exactly what it sounds like. You cannot compress the fluid. Another way to think about this is that the fluid does not change density. So if you're not pushing it into a smaller volume, the density remains the same all the time. Now, if you're listening to this and you're a nerd, your first thought might be, well, technically all flows are compressible. And that is correct. You were right. I hope you feel good about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But what we're talking here is when the Mach number, which is the ratio between the velocity of the flow and the speed of sound, is less than 0.3, flow can be treated as incompressible. Mach number of 1 is the speed of sound, meaning the ratio of the velocity of flow and the speed of sound would be the same. That would be 1. Anything less than 0.3, we will call incompressible. Yeah, so velocity of the flow that Anna's talking about, it's like the velocity of the flow of the fluid in question, the fluid that you're analyzing. And then speed of sound is a constant value. Exactly. Hannah was talking about earlier about the velocity of air. It would be the velocity of air over the speed of sound. For most flight, that is less than 0.3. So we could consider that incompressible. And we can therefore use thin airfoil theory. Bingo. Most fluids classes you'll take in undergrad will be incompressible flow, because compressible flow 
gets very hard very quickly. Yes. Yes. Like even if you open a textbook, you'll always start with incompressible flow and then like the end chapters will get into compressible flow. It'll give you like 10 minutes on compressible flow. Exactly. And then and then it'll be like, now buy this other book or these seven other books. Exactly. (laughs) That are all about compressible flow. I took a compressible flow class in college. It is hard. It is confusing. Oh, that's amazing, Anna. (laughs) I did not. (laughs) Whoa, it's way harder. Like, you level up quick. That's amazing. Now, moving on. (laughs) The other word I used was inviscid. Inviscid flow refers to the flow of a fluid where the viscosity of the fluid is zero. I always think of it as, like, viscosity is thickness for fluids. So, for example, maple syrup is more viscous than water. It's thicker. It flows slower. Yes. Again, now technically air does have viscosity. However, for thin airfoil theory, we can say the effect the viscosity of the air would have on the flow around the airfoil is so small that we can call it negligible. We cannot account for it. So we can call this flow inviscid, meaning no effects from viscosity of the fluid. Thumbs up. Take your assumptions when you can get them. Yeah, absolutely. So you don't have to do a more complex math trying to like figure out how to incorporate this extra parameter. Think smarter, not harder. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Now, thin airfoil theory was proposed by German mathematician Max Munch in the 1920s. So Max Munch got his PhD at the University of Göttingen in 1918 under Ludwig Prandtl. If this sounds familiar to you, you're probably thinking of the Prandtl number, which is in fact named after him. We do all this research and we just find out that all of these people are connected to each other. <laughs> yes, actually, though. Right? The Prandtl number is dimensionless. It's a number used to correlate a fluid's viscosity to its thermal conductivity. That really doesn't matter for anything that we're going to talk about today, but it is interesting. Yes, it's literally just a number. And like Anna said, dimensionless. There's no dimensions. There's no meters per second. None of that. It's literally just a way to figure out a viscosity in compared to thermal conductivity. So for things like liquid metal, it would be the Prandtl number would be way different for mercury. I was like, what is liquid metal? <laughs> the Prandtl number would be way different for mercury than it would be for something like water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great example. Thank you. I, t- I couldn't remember what mercury was. <laughs> All right, back on track. Monk then went on to move to the United States in 1920. This was after World War One, which was 1914 to 1918. <laughs> My first instinct when I saw this, I was like, oh, this is actually prohibition. <laughs> this is the one <laughs> thing I'm compared to all the time. Like, actually, <laughs> this is it. Yeah, so for context, every time we get into a history section, Anna does a great job and provides context into like, oh, let's set the time frame. What else is going on during this time period? And Anna's go-to sentence is like, the one thing I know about history is when Prohibition happened. That's really the only thing, 1920 to 1933. That's all I got. Like, that's a landmarker that I just have memorized. So it is before or after Prohibition. And this one is during. Uh, I'm th- I'm that way with World War Two, like 1940s. It's just like I just know that time frame, and then everything else needs to just fall into place around it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I have a pin. Everything else is in reference. Exactly. So, after World War One, again 1914 to 1918, he moved to the United States to work at the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, or NACA. This is what eventually later became NASA. 
While at NACA, Monk developed thin airfoil theory, and in 1925 published a paper titled Elements of the Wing Section Theory and the Wing Theory. I found the paper. I found the original paper. I'm going to link it in the show notes. Oh, that's so cool. But I'm going to read you the summary of the paper (laughs) just because I found it very entertaining. The summary of the paper is... The following paper, prepared for the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, contains those results of the theory of wings and of wing section, which are of immediate practical value. They are proven and demonstrated by the use of the simple conceptions of kinetic energy and momentum, only familiar to every engineer, and not by introducing isogonal transformations and vortices, which latter mathematical methods are not essential to the theory, and better are used only in papers intended for mathematics and special experts. End of summary. That is a summary. Like, what? <laughs> like, what is happening here? <laughs> like, this is what my paper's about. Also, I hate mathematicians. <laughs> It's just like, also how demeaning. They are proven and demonstrated by the use of the simple conceptions of kinetic energy and momentum. Familiar to ev- only. Only familiar. <laughs> only. Like, if you're not an engineer, I'm sorry, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like, it's almost saying like mathematicians are better than engineers. Like, <laughs> But at the same point, also throw in some shade at them. I Yeah, exactly. This felt personal. this felt really personal against one person (laughs) i don't know who it is i just want to repeat these last words which latter mathematical methods are not essential to the theory better used only in papers intended for mathematicians and special experts (laughs) whoa man okay like we clearly see that there's an age limit on this like (laughs) Like you have to be this tall we are to not get tall on the ride. To ride. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. Ego check right here. Wow. I know. I was like, right, <laughs> Thank <man."> you, summary. <laughs> it's like there's a lot happening here. And I at first I was just looking for a sentence to put in there. I was like, I think the whole thing is necessary. Yeah. <laughs> All right. As another note, this paper has five references. Four of which are to other papers Monk wrote. <laughs> oh man that's a flex (laughs) the fifth reference the only one that he did not write is a hydrodynamics textbook by sir horace lamb which you can currently purchase on amazon for 24 dollars and 78 cents that's so cool (laughs) i was looking through the references i was like what (laughs) oh that's when you really made it when the majority of your references are yourself When 80% of your references are you. So as Dr. Monk has already stated, in this paper, he derives thin airfoil theory. This was then actually refined by British aerodynamicist Herman Glauert and published in 1926 in his book, The Elements of Airfoil and Airscrew Theory, which you can also still purchase today. Oh, very cool. Interestingly enough, I read an article that credited this book with spreading thin airfoil theory in the English-speaking world. Oh, wow. I know. All right, so you might be wondering, what exactly is thin airfoil theory? And I am going to give you a very brief overview. Again, this is a challenge of, I would really like a visual aid, but I don't have one. So I'm going (laughs) to try my best here. Now, imagine what an airplane wing looks like. Now imagine that wing was only as thick of a piece of paper. 
If that were the case, the lift that your paper airfoil could generate would depend entirely on the shape of the airfoil, or in this example, how your piece of paper was bent. In a nutshell, this is thin airfoil theory. And you're probably thinking, isn't that an oversimplification? You are not wrong. Again, I hope you feel good about yourself. (laughs) But what is important here is that it was able to be modeled by the numerical techniques that existed at the time because there was no fluid modeling software. Thin airfoil theory essentially just correlated the amount of lift you generated to the angle of attack in the airfoil camber. That's all it cared about. It didn't care about how thick your airfoil was. That's why it's called thin airfoil theory. And as I've already mentioned, this was important because there was no fluid modeling software. And while the amount of drag an airfoil experiences does depend on the airfoil's thickness, in order to compute that, you need to understand viscous flow, which was beyond the techniques that existed at that time. So they essentially had to work with what they were able to compute. And so that is why thin airfoil theory was so important, because they could actually compute it to try to get an idea about how much lift would be generated. Yeah, I see it as like the like a building block of the full principles, you know, like exactly. they had to start somewhere. They got data and results that were pro- that were not as accurate as, you know, incorporating laminar flow. But at the same time, it got them some data that they could work with in designing these airfoils. It was useful, and it gave them numbers that they could actually calculate. Exactly. Which, if you can't calculate it, it's not useful. Exactly, yeah. Thin airfoil theory is still used today, and it remained a dominant theory until the development, had already spoiled it, of laminar flow in the 1930s. But I think we're going to save that for another day. We should. Anna, that was awesome. Thanks. I had fun with this one. I had not thought about thin airfoil theory in a really long time. Yeah, that was, it was interesting. Like, even for me, when I was doing this research, it was so much stuff that I haven't thought about in years. Years, for sure. Yeah. All right. Before we hop into our sources, do you want to tell everybody where they can find us? Yes. You can find us at our website, at www.butitisrocketscience.com. On our website, we have a contact us page. So if you want to send us a message, tell us how we're doing. If you have any thoughts on future episode topics, please go fill out the form. It always makes our day to read those submissions. You can also find us on our Facebook page at But It Is Rocket Science. You can find us on our Twitter at But It Is RS. You can find us on our Instagram at But It Is Rocket Science. We also have a Patreon. We understand times are weird right now. If you are interested in checking out our Patreon, we will have that linked in our show notes as well. Just as an added extra bonus, if you go to our website, but it is rocketscience.com, and you go to the shop, we do have merch. And excitingly enough, we have another logo. So we have another cool design to add to our storefront. Woohoo! And then we're also going to have some new products. We have a coffee mug that's pink inside that I think is super fun. And then we have sweatshirts. I think we're going to do a tank top, another tote bag. So we have some different stuff too. The new logo is stunning. Like we had one of our friends who's also a engineer who does graphic design. She designed it for us and it's just stunning. We love how it came out. And we'll also link her Instagram in our sources as well. Yes. We're so excited to share this logo and release it on some merch. She did such an incredible job. We absolutely love it. And she is sarahprice.art on Instagram. We will link it, as Hannah already said. But it's S-A-R-A-H 
P-R-I-C-E dot art, A-R-T, on Instagram. Highly recommend you check her out. She is incredible. Woohoo. All right, Anna, do you want to go ahead and get into your sources? I do. All right. So, bunch of Wikipedia here. I got the Wikipedia about airfoils. I have an article from the Air and Space Museum about the Wright brothers. I have another one about from NASA about the history of flight. I've got one from, it's an MIT link, but it's it's from lamelson.mit.edu. It's an MIT <laughs> website that talks about Otto Lilienthal. I think it must be like a historic history section. Yeah. Of MIT. Looks like it. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it is a credible website. I'm making it sound like it's not. <laughs> I used it because I believe it to be a credible source. Signs pointed to credible. All right. And then the, the paper I talked about, Elements of Wing Section Theory and the Wing Theory by Max M. Monk, I will have linked. I have another article that talks all about angle of attack. I actually have a picture that demonstrates angle of attack. I have Wikipedia as a source for this only because I normally find it in an aerodynamics textbook, but this was compressible flow. You will also find it in any aerodynamics textbook, but I put the Wikipedia article just if anybody wanted to reference it. I did the same thing with inviscid flow. This will be in your fluids textbooks or your aerodynamics textbooks. I just put a quick summary to it on Wikipedia if you're interested. I have history to get the dates of World War I because I didn't know what that was. (laughs) I have Wikipedia for Ludwig Prandtl. ScienceDirect.com for the description of the Prandtl number. And I have the Amazon links for both those books I mentioned. How to Dynamics by Sir Horace Lamb. And H. Glowert, The Elements of Airfoil and Airscrew Theory. And then I have the Wikipedia page about Herman Glowert. And that's all I got. Awesome. All right. So I used a YouTube video on generating lift with airfoils. I'll have that linked in my sources. I also used a book called Fundamentals of Aerodynamics. I will have that linked as well. I used the Wikipedia page of airfoils as a great jumping off point. I used a nasa.gov website that described airplane inclines. And then I also used an mit.edu OpenCourseWare link for aerodynamics lecture notes, and I'll have that linked as well. Perfect. All right, Anna, do you want to go ahead and close this out? Let's do it. Until next time, space cadets. T minus three, two, one, liftoff! liftoff.